Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. In the last few weeks, we've covered some science and some art. So this week, I'd like to get back to philosophy. I want to, once again, address the question of how philosophy is practical to what we do. So get your thinking cap on because I want to attempt to do some deep thinking on this one. Once again, I'll take you back to the philosophy of Aristotle. Long white robe and beard not included. First off, I want to admit my bias. My bias is that I don't think chiropractic philosophy should stand alone like a project unto itself. Chiropractic philosophy should integrate with the larger body of classical philosophy, play by the same rules, and remain consistent with what is already known. That's my bias. Take or leave it. The reason I tell you my bias is because I don't think anyone can consider themselves a philosopher, chiropractic or otherwise, if they're not familiar and educated on Aristotle's philosophy. His most fundamental philosophical foundation is found in his writing on Nicomachean ethics. From his work on ethics, we will lay down a framework and define some very important words. I think you'll immediately see how these concepts have application for chiropractic, but don't neglect to see how they play a role in your life as a whole. So let's begin. In life, there are two important questions we need to answer. They are, what do we need to know and how do we need to be? Let's start with the knowing question. Aristotle says that there are two kinds of knowing. There's the knowing of the state of things that don't change, and the knowing of things that do change. The knowing of things that don't change is understood to be wisdom, but wisdom does not immediately lead to success in life. People who are successful are usually people who are more adept at knowing the things that do change. The great problem here is the confusion that happens when we mistake something that does change for something that does not. An example of something that does not change is your height, the length of a day, or the hardness of a rock. A good example is a coffee mug. You identify it as a mug, as something that does not change, only to pick it up and see that it has no bottom. It is incomplete, and that makes it useless as a cup. This leads to another important concept of Aristotle, and that is the completeness of a thing. A car without wheels is useless. You remove one part, and the whole becomes nothing. This is a very important concept when we think about ethics. From the position of Aristotle, Ethics is a hierarchy of values. Politics is the set of laws created to support that hierarchy of values. Obviously, you can see how badly politicians and lawyers have screwed that up, but that's how it's supposed to work. From a chiropractic perspective, we should have an ethic, and the Green Books, along with Stevenson, serve as the hierarchy of values. Chiropractic should also have a politic. The problem here, as we discussed a few weeks ago, is that by hijacking the politic, you can rewrite the hierarchy of values, and fundamentally change a profession, or a country. This is why the one who makes the law ultimately determines what is deemed ethical. This is why who you vote for actually matters, and secure elections also matter. In the case of chiropractic, we, the members of the society, have no control over who makes the laws. That means we do not control the ethic either. A profession that's governed by members it did not choose is unethical on its face, yet this is what we have. Aristotle would not condone this for one simple reason. It is not just. Aristotle had a lot to say about what is just and the pursuit of what is just. Aristotle would say the purpose of the individual and the community is the pursuit of good. By Aristotle's definition, beauty is the good perfected. We seek beauty in all its forms 
because we're hardwired to seek the good, even when we find it hard to obtain or create. Now that we have some definitions and context, let's go back to our original question and address it from a chiropractic perspective in pursuit of a chiropractic ethic. The question is, as chiropractors, what do we need to know and how should we be? Aristotle acknowledges that every action is intended to make a change in something changeable. We don't waste our time trying to change unchangeable things, or at least we hope we don't. Unfortunately, there are definitely people who do waste their time trying to change unchangeable things. This is why it's an important virtue to be able to recognize the unchangeable, and that's wisdom, and to then have the discipline to focus your efforts elsewhere. This may seem obvious to you, but if you look around, and perhaps even in your own life, I can assure you that it's not obvious. If I told you to stop the sun from moving in the sky, you would certainly resist. That's impossible, you would say. But is it any less impossible to try to make someone love you, or even like you for that matter? Yet people do engage in some things that cannot be changed. Okay, I've set a little bit of a foundation for philosophy in general, so now let's talk about it in context for chiropractic. By pursuing the good, as Aristotle defines it, we develop the capacity to identify the good, and we're naturally inclined to pursue the good. For example, if I showed you a cup, you could identify it as a cup. You don't need to know the exact size, shape, or color, but because you know the good of a cup and the purpose it can accomplish, you have a capacity to recognize cupness. You might see a cup, identify it as a cup, but then you learn that there's a leak in the cup. The good of the cup is the ability to hold fluid. If the cup can't do that, then we immediately judge that cup to be useless and its appearance immediately becomes irrelevant. In like manner, we can do the same thing with a human. The good of a human is virtue leading to an ethic, and culminating in a politic. This is what we identify as humanness. When a person demonstrates a lack of virtue, we identify them as being less than human, and we often call them names or give them labels that indicate our recognition of their subhumanness. It's essential to recognize that there's a huge difference between the potential of a person and the person they actually are as a result of virtue or the lack thereof, which is the result of choices. Now, Let's do some deep thinking. What is the good of a chiropractor? What is the chiropractorness that you can identify or recognize its conspicuous absence? I would posit that I have known and seen many chiropractors who were legally chiropractors, but they lacked any sign of chiropractorness or chiropractic virtue, if you will. So, what are the things that constitute this chiropractorness? I don't want to give you the answer, so I won't but I do want to aid you in discovering the answer for yourself. If I was to ask a first-year chiropractic student to define a chiropractor, they could probably do it in just a few sentences. If you were to ask me, I could write an entire book on the subject. The point being that based on both education and experience, I have a much keener sense and a more defined understanding of what chiropractic virtue is. The value of chiropractic philosophy is to communicate this keen sense of chiropracticness to young students so they can understand exactly what kind of chiropractor they must become and the virtues they must develop. The schools that do not teach philosophy leave their students with no idea of what a chiropractor is or what they must do or what they must be. Schools that teach philosophy poorly leave their students with a distorted view of what a chiropractor is and what they must do or be. I'm sure you can see what a huge problem this has become in the profession. I think it's fair to say that we, as Gone State Chiropractors, have a stricter, more detailed view of what chiropracticness looks like. One example of this is precision. We've always held precision as a high value. It seems that others have come to understand this, but they lack the ability to do it. 
I recently saw a video of someone who stressed the importance of a precise atlas adjustment. He then laid the patient face up, rotated maximally to the left, and pushed with his thumb. As we all know, that's not how an atlas misaligns, or how it moves, or how it's corrected. The lesson being that doing the wrong thing with precision is of no value. If you're going to be wrong, you might as well be imprecisely wrong. Precision only matters when doing the right thing. So we value precision, but we only value it when applied correctly. I don't have to feel someone's adjustment to know if they're doing it wrong, and I'd be willing to bet that you don't either, regardless of how new you might beat all this. The value of chiropractic philosophy, I'll say it again, is to know what a chiropractor is and what they must do and be. According to Aristotle, art is the act that we do to influence something changeable in pursuit of the good. How's that for some philosophy language? Let's break it down. Art is an act of influence. Art can be done poorly or it can be done with excellence. And that perfecting of the good is what we call beauty, as in a beautiful painting. Have you ever seen a beautiful adjustment? Think about what that looks like or what it would look like if you've never seen one. It is the perfection of the good. Good stabilization, perfected. Good contact, perfected. Good control, perfected. If you see it in your mind's eye, then you know the target to pursue. Now this isn't just relevant to your adjusting skill, but this is how you build yourself into a perfectly rounded chiropractor. What should your business systems look like? Pursue the beautiful. What about office design and patient flow? Pursue the beautiful. Aristotle also says that we all innately recognize the beautiful, and we know it when we see it. So what about those chiropractors who seek YouTube fame while offering sloppy chiropractic? I thought they did that because they just didn't know any better. Well, according to Aristotle, they do know better, or at least they once did. He says that we know the good and we seek the beautiful, but if we ignore that voice and we turn away from it, we silence that voice, and we will eventually silence it to the point it appears to no longer exist. In the U.S., we have many politicians who flaunt their abuse of the law, the very laws that they helped to write. They don't do this because they don't know what, that it's wrong. They do this because they have silenced the voice of knowing and repeatedly turned from it. This is why they lash out so harshly and violently against anyone who would ever speak against their blatant abuse of power. This isn't unique to national politics, but it also exists in chiropractic politics. Tell someone in power that their view of chiropractic does not pursue the beautiful, but it's a disgusting perversion of chiropractic, and see how you won't just be dismissed, but you'll be retaliated upon. This is because, as much as they try, they cannot silence the voice of knowing, yet their ego wants to define beauty as whatever they do, but they know it's not true. We live in a society, and even a profession, where those with the least virtue seem to get ahead, while those with the most virtue are actively held back. It would certainly cause someone to ask, what is the value of gaining virtue and developing character if it has no obvious benefit and will certainly be held against me? I think we have an entire generation asking that question, and for good reason. Aristotle would answer that question with just one word. Happiness. He would say that the development of character is the only true path to happiness. Many people think it's money, and in pursuit of money, they destroy their happiness by destroying their character. The best understanding of money, as well as power, is that it simply showcases who you are. If you're unhappy and lacking in character, then you can only imagine how much more awful you would become if you also have money or power. I don't think we should undervalue the pursuit of virtue, but we shouldn't undervalue the pursuit of happiness either. 
To truly be happy as a chiropractor means that you pursue the good to the development of mastery, which will lead to beauty, and that in turn will create the happiness you seek. When you settle for what is, or the best you can do right now, then you resign yourself to be unhappy, and that usually leads to excuses. All right, let's go back and recap. I know philosophy can be conceptually difficult, but we can make it relevant and give you purpose for your day. As humans, we pursue the good. Animals don't do that. Only humans do. We see the good, and we develop the ability to create, through art, more of it. As chiropractors, we see the good. We know what good chiropractic entails, and we seek to develop the ability to create more of it. We do this by the actions we take as a product of the decisions we make. When we fall short, we can learn from our mistake or justify it and distort our sense of the good. It is this concept that gave me fits as a young doctor. I had to continually ask myself, what is good? More importantly, I had to make judgments of what is not good and move away from it. This is touchy because even as a student, but even more so now, I can observe someone's behavior and judge it to be not good. Nobody wants to be told that they're not good, especially if they've been doing this for a while. Nonetheless, I did not deem it not good, but rather unworthy of emulation. I know, it's basically the same thing, but the subtle twist is relevant. If I do not want my final product to look like that, then I better not follow the steps they took to get there. I cannot emulate their steps and actions and not expect to end up where they've ended up. So I ask you this, what does a beautiful cervical adjustment look like? What does a beautiful knee chest table adjustment look like? What does a beautiful pelvic bench adjustment look like? What does a beautiful patient history look like? What does a beautiful fee schedule look like? If you can answer these questions, then you'll develop a sense of chiropracticness that will allow you to immediately identify what is and what is not chiropractic. Is it chiropractic that works or an empty shell that merely looks like chiropractic from the outside but lacking in any substance? Philosophy, including chiropractic philosophy, is not a mere assembling of platitudes, but it should be fundamental to forming our identity, our awareness of who we are and what is expected of us. It serves as a guide to develop the ability to deliver what is expected of us, first as a choice, but then as a habit. And it gives us the awareness to immediately identify the chiropracticness of a thing or to notice its absence when it's not there. These are not trivial things, although some insist that they are. If your goal is to be the best version of yourself, then this is the path for you to get there. You must study philosophy, and you must think philosophically about what it means to have chiropracticness. What is the good, and where is the beauty? Seek out the beauty. When you find it, emulate it. Avoid everything else. Well, I hope you found this helpful today. I hope that in Aristotle's concepts you found something, well, beautiful. I'm still adding more stabilization videos to the subscription area. I'm also working on putting together some of the critiques of different people adjusting. I just have to figure out how to film it exactly the way I want, but I'll get them in there too. I've also been requested to put together some of the drills that I do, so I'll work on that as well. Now, I think, is a good time for me to mention for the first time that the Meeting of the Minds is coming up this October 15th and 16th on the campus of Cleveland University in Overland Park, Kansas. Our topic will be chiropractic instrumentation, and we'll be doing a deep dive into the history, how scopes are made, and how best to utilize this information. If you're a diplomate or a fellow or have been in practice for 20 or more years, then I look forward to seeing you there. For the students, there will be a workshop on the evening of the 14th 
where you can learn from the largest gathering of diplomates and fellows that we ever have. As always, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time. Thank you.